afternoon, everybody. Welcome to today's webinar on white box coverage metrics in automotive software testing. I'm Rex Black, president of RBCS. We are a worldwide testing quality assurance firm serving clients ranging from small startups to Fortune 20 global enterprises. Since 1994, we've delivered insight and confidence to hundreds of clients around the world. Our team of international consultants deliver customized training, consulting, and expert services for companies that are looking to improve their test and quality assurance practices. I have over 35 years of software engineering experience, primarily in the areas of software testing, software test management, and software test automation, and am the author of 14 books on software testing. If you have any questions during the course of the webinar, please feel free to submit them throughout the presentation via your webinar interface, but please note they are answered only at the end. If you are listening to this webinar as a podcast, what I would encourage you to do is go to our website and download the slides, uh, the PDF version of the slides, because there will be a few cases where I'm referring to some figures that uh, uh, what I'm saying is going to make a lot more sense if you're looking at the figures on, on the page. I hope you enjoyed this free webinar from RBCS. We do these free webinars as a service to the software testing community because at RBCS, we are a not just for profit company. Now that said, we do need to keep the lights on, uh, especially uh, given the kind of things that are going on lately. So if you feel that these webinars demonstrate a grasp of the kinds of testing challenges that you face, please give us a chance to bid on any and all software testing, consulting, training, and expert services work you might have. For example, we now offer the ISDQB Automotive Tester Certification, and if you're listening to this, you may very well be a, a potential customer for that. So, that said, no further ado, if I can just work my interface here. Whoops, how about that? Continue on to the next. All right, so um, this is a uh, interesting statistic, I think, um, that's the um, <coughs> code in a Ford F-150 truck, which is the most uh, popular truck, um, is more than the code in a Boeing 787. Um, so it's just, there's a lot of code in automobiles, and this, truck is just one example of that. Um, it's not uh, uh, limited to trucks. Uh, any, any vehicle that you buy these days is going to have a lot of code in. So um, there are standards for automotive software testing and uh, these include ISO 26262, Automotive Spice, and AutoSAR. Now some of these standards set levels of code coverage based on the level of safety risk called the ASIL we'll talk more about. And these levels of coverage include statement coverage, decision coverage, and modified condition decision coverage, or MCDC. And so in this presentation, I'm going to explain to you how to uh, understand those three important coverage metrics and how to understand uh, what the tools might be telling you if you're using a tool to uh, achieve compliance. All right, so um, we'll start with uh, it's kind of an overview of control flow coverage. 
So there is statement coverage, which is also called instruction coverage or code coverage, which refers to every statement being executed at least once, every executable statement. And then there's decision, which is sometimes referred to as synonymously with branch coverage, and I'll explain why it's not, that's not quite right. But this is where every possible decision outcome has been at least once true and at least once false. Now, then there is condition coverage. Um, now condition coverage and decision condition coverage are not very interesting by themselves, but they are building blocks to get us to MCDC, or Modified Condition Decision Coverage, which is interesting. So condition coverage says that every atomic condition has to be evaluated at least once true and at least once false. And decision condition coverage says that we have to achieve both decision and condition coverage. Um, now, modified condition decision coverage, or MCDC, says that each condition alone has to be able to force the outcome to be once true and once false. In other words, if that condition had taken on the wrong value, the outcome, the decision outcome, would be reversed. Um, and I'll explain why that's important when we get there. Now, there's another form of control flow coverage that's referred to as multiple condition coverage, which is all possible combinations of conditions in a decision. And when we get there, I will explain why you should not do this. All right, so here's a really simple example. Um, I have a chunk of code here that uh, calculates a factorial using a loop. Um, some of you may be familiar with doing this with uh, recursion, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm using a loop. So um, <clears throat> if we reconstruct that as a control flow diagram, you see that's on the right. Um, the bubble uh, at the top is lines four, five, and six. And then there's uh, the if statement is uh, there in the, the, the subsequent bubble, and that introduces a branch. That's a decision point. And if we do the true side, we do lines eight and nine, and then we would go and exit through the return, that's line 17. If we do the false branch, the false decision on line seven, we then go to line 10 and fall through to 11, and um, then we go to line 12. And depending on what the input was, we will iterate the loop body uh, one or well, zero or more times. That would get us through to line 13. And then after iterating the loop or not, we would then print our factorial value and then we would exit through line 17, the return. Okay, so pretty straightforward piece of code there. So if we want to achieve 100% statement coverage, in other words, every statement has been executed at least once, then what we would do is we would take a negative value, so say negative five, and we input that at line six, which is where it accepts an input. And then so if negative five is less than zero, that will, that will result in a true decision at line seven. So then it will take that red path and it will do, it will print the error message and say invalid negative five. And then it will set the return code to negative one because that's the code that this program uses to say, I got an invalid input. And then it goes to line 17 and it exits. And then if I use say 
uh, five. Um, so as the input next, I, I go on uh, an input n equals five. So um, do lines four, five, and line six, I input five. So if five less than zero evaluates to false, so it then does the else branch, goes to line 10, to line 11, and initializes the um, uh, factorial uh, value. And um, then it is going to um, count up the factorial, so um, all the way up to five factorial, which if I remember correctly is 120. Um, and then it will, um, uh, so after iterating the loop five times, it will uh, go to line 15 and it will print out uh, five factorial equals 120. And uh, then it will um, exit out of line 17. Okay. So notice that every statement, every executable statement there has been executed at least once, right? And that's what you need for 100% statement coverage. To the extent that you've not executed each line, what you do to calculate statement coverage, you take the number of statements actually executed and divide it by the total number of executable statements. Now, let's talk about a decision. So computers are more than just calculators. They are the ability to decide to do one thing or the other. So the decisions are typically going to be driven by Boolean expressions. Now, in the case of a switch case construct, that's a little more complicated because what you have is this implied value equals constant um, expression that's not actually stated in the in the program, but it's it's implied by the what the switch case construct is doing. Um, generally speaking, you're going to have some sort of explicit or implicit um, Boolean expression, and it could be a simple one like shown here, A greater than B, so that's one value greater than another. So I've got a value, could be a constant, could be a variable. I've got a relational operator, and I've got another um, uh, value, uh, again, a variable or a constant, right? Now, in some cases, the expressions are more complicated as we see below, so we've got a greater than B or X plus Y equals negative one and D not equal true, which is that last expression there is really quite tortured and one should not do that, but sometimes you see these kinds of things. So there are various programming language uh, constructs that, that provide for decisions. So we see the, the if then else, uh, sometimes it's just if uh, without an explicit then like in C, uh, there's the while, uh, so that's a that's a loop, um, but a, a loop is also going to be based on decisions. There's the, that's the branch at the top. There's the until do or um, repeat until, um, which is the branch at the bottom. You have the for loop. You've got the switch case. So there's there's a lot of these uh, available. But the basic idea is at a decision point, the program does one thing or it does something else. So 100% decision coverage would mean that every decision outcome had been at least once true and at least once false. So going back to statement coverage, let's think about this. So we tested with negative five. So we went down to if negative five less than zero at line seven, right? So that, that would say, okay, um, I now did the true branch there, so the true outcome is covered. And then I skip lines 10 through 16. 
which includes the decision at line 12. So I've done one out of the four decisions and the first test, negative five. So my decision coverage at that point is 25%. Now, when I put N equals five in this next test, then I do the false decision at line seven. So now my decision coverage is up to 50%. And then I go down to line 12 and I go right at this I less than or equal to N, that's gonna be true, 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 false, right? Because it's basically counting up to five, right? Um, so it did true at least once and it did false at least once. So now I've got 100% decision coverage, okay? Now, you might not like that because you might say, well, I, I think, shouldn't we also have a test where we don't do the body of the loop? Shouldn't that also be something that we do? And there's a name for that. That's branch coverage. So if you're familiar with McCabe's cyclomatic complexity um, and basis path testing, uh, that's what you would be doing there. You'd be covering those branches because that is in McCabe's um, concept, a um, uh, independent branch. Okay, so that's something to keep in mind. Uh, depending on the tool that you're using, it might be giving you decision coverage, it might be giving you branch coverage, it might be giving you decision coverage and calling you calling it branch coverage or vice versa. So you need to check that because what I've found working with clients is that uh, the tools use different nomenclature uh, for these things. Okay, so statement coverage and um, Decision coverage will be two, two levels of code coverage that might be uh, required uh, based on the uh, ASIL, the, the uh, safety risk associated with the uh, uh, particular uh, piece of functionality. So it could be just statement coverage or it could be statement and decision. But here's a hint, if you get 100% decision coverage, you're guaranteed to get 100% statement coverage. It's not the other way around though. It did work that way in the example that we just looked at, but that's not always true, okay? Um, but it might be that you need to get to, you need to get MCDC coverage, Modified Condition Decision Coverage. So how do we do that? Well, let's, we, we have to start step-by-step step and, and go through the building blocks here. So <clears throat> we need to look at something called condition testing. So decision testing looks at the overall outcome of the Boolean expression. Condition testing is looking at the atomic conditions within the Boolean expression. And the Boolean expression may have one, two, three, four, however many atomic uh, conditions within it. Now in condition testing, all we require is that each atomic condition has to be at least once true and at least once false. Now, again, this is not something that you're likely to use, uh, not directly, because it's mostly something that's gonna be useful as a way of understanding um, MCDC. However, it is useful to be aware of what condition testing is because I came across a situation with a client who was using a tool that was reporting statement coverage and it was also just reporting condition coverage. And at first I thought, well, surely the tool maker has confused condition coverage and decision coverage because decision coverage is useful by itself and condition coverage is not. But it turned out that actually the tool was reporting condition coverage. And 
as you'll see in a minute, this can be a little dangerous because it's possible to get to 100% condition coverage without getting to 100% decision coverage. Okay, so um, if you're dealing with decisions where the Boolean expression is a single atomic condition, you will always get decision coverage out of condition coverage. But if it's a compound Boolean expression where there's two or more uh, atomic conditions, it may not. So I think I've got an example for you. I can't miss slide, but it's coming up soon. So first, let's explain atomic conditions. So <clears throat> atomic condition is, the word atomic, of course, means that it's individual, indivisible, right? Can't be split into a smaller piece. Uh, of course, you know, we started calling things atoms and then we found out, whoops, those actually can be split into smaller things. At least this is, you know, chemistry and physics. But atomic in its, you know, meaning and programming is it cannot be divided. So basically an atomic condition is something which cannot be broken down into constituent pieces and still result in a true false outcome. So an atomic condition can be a single variable or value that can take on a true or false outcome, like the X uh, that you see there, which in this example is true, or it could be false. We can also have two atomic conditions. So D and F, the two ampersands is the relational operator, typical relational operator, um, excuse me, not relational operator, Boolean operator, um, that joins D and F together. So D is an atomic condition that takes on a true or false value. And F is an atomic condition that takes on a true or false value. So if we have true and true, then we would have the outcome would be true. But if it's false and true, true and false, or false and false, the outcome would be false as shown in the example here. And we can have a situation where we have three atomic conditions like A or B, and that's in parentheses to force precedence of evaluation. And then we say, and C equals D. Now, or is a Boolean operator, but the equals is there is a relational operator. So the C equals D cannot be split because if we split those, that's no longer something that produces a, a um, uh, true false value based on the quality relationship. Um, and then um, we have the tortured example from the, one of the earlier slides there, A greater than B or X plus Y equals negative one and D not equal true. Uh, so that's a, you know, but don't, don't write code like that, but that, that has three atomic conditions. But notice as it says, there's only one decision, right? The decision is the ultimate evaluation. The atomic conditions each take on a true false value. So in condition testing, as I said, we would make sure that the conditions were once true and once false. Uh, so the previous slide, then you would test, you know, the Boolean variables X, E, F, A, and B all be once true and once false. And then the, the uh, uh, relational expression C equal to D would have to be once true and once false. The relational expression A greater than B once true, once false. The relational expression x plus y equals negative one would have to be once true, once false. And then the relational expression d not true would have to be once true, once false. So that's condition coverage. And um, 
Now, decision condition testing is where you you require 100% condition coverage and 100% decision coverage, those two things. Um, now, in the case of a simple Boolean expression like A greater than B, that's going to be the same. So it's going to be true, false. So the condition coverage is achieved, true, false, for that atomic condition, and the decision coverage is achieved because the overall decision was true and false, right? But whoops, for this guy here, um, notice that I've got A greater than B, X plus Y equals negative one, and D is not equal to true. Okay, so I could go A greater than B true, X plus Y equals negative one true, and D would be false, so it's not equal to true, so that's true. So true, 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 okay? And then I could have A less than or equal to B, and X plus one, some value other than negative one, and D um, is um, equal to true, so that's false, so this would be false, false, false. Now in that case, I would have gotten two tests and each of the atomic conditions would have been true and false at least once, and the decision would have been both true and false at least once, so that would have gotten me both decision condition coverage. But check out this. What if I did A greater than B true, and then X plus Y equal negative one false, D is equal to true, so that's false. Okay, so it was true, false, false. So the decision there would be, um, uh, well, wait a minute, sorry, let me, let me back this up. Let's say that A greater than B is true and X plus Y equal negative one is false and D not equal to true is, is um, false. Okay, so I've got false, true, false. Well, the overall outcome is going to be false. And then I do it so, or, or excuse me, <laughs> true, false, true. So the overall outcome is true. And then I do false, true, false. Ah, that's, sorry, I, I screwed that up again. Let me back that up one more time. Um, so if I can have a situation where um, the uh, expression evaluates to false um, both times, even though all of the, the, the atomic conditions have been once true and once false. Let me try to explain that with a, with a simpler example here. That one's, that one's complicated and I keep getting tripped up on it. So take a look at this guy, if A and B, okay? Now notice that if I test A false, B true, and A true, B false, the outcome is false and false both times. All right, see that? Um, so notice that I got condition coverage, but I didn't get decision coverage. Now if I add another test and say A true, B true, then the result will be true. Now that would be three tests. Now I could also have just tested A true, B true, which would be true, and A false, B false, which would be false. And true and true is true, 
false and false is false. So I can get it in two tests, but notice that if all I do, if all my tool does is look at decision, excuse me, condition coverage, then what I'm gonna get um, is not necessarily 100% decision coverage. Okay, hopefully that example made sense. Sorry, it was uh, so difficult for me to work out in my head the uh, solution to that, but there is a way of coming up with a test for this expression here, the arbitrarily complex one that will achieve condition coverage and not achieve decision coverage. And when some clever listener wants to put that up in the question uh, q and I'll uh, read it out and um, uh, congratulate them for being able to do uh, what I was not able to do. The problem was I can't do it on paper right now. And if I were able to write, then I would do it. But uh, trying to do it in my head was too complicated. <coughs> Excuse me. And no, that's not a COVID cough. Uh, just a throat clearing, talking and dry throat cough. Okay, so MCDC coverage says it's, it's modified decision condition or modified condition decision coverage. It's a condition decision meaning the same thing. Um, so we're going to make sure that every condition has been evaluated at least once true and once false. That's the condition part. The decision part is that the outcome has to be at least once true and at least once false. But then it adds a third um, thing that has to be true about the set of tests. Each atomic condition has to control the decision outcome once true and once false. And again, what that means is that if any atomic condition were to switch from true to false or vice versa, that would switch the decision outcome. And the reason that that's important is the switching of the decision outcome is the thing that you can catch in a dynamic test, right? Because I can see that it took the wrong path in the code, that it did the false side when I should have done the true side or did the true side when it should have done the false side. But what's typically not an externally observable behavior is the value of the atomic conditions. See that? When you're running the code, unless you're actually stepping through the code in the debugger, you're not going to be able to evaluate the, you see the values of the atomic conditions. So what I need is a test technique that makes the values of the atomic conditions visible to me in the most efficient possible way. And that's what MCDC is going to do for you. It's going to create a situation where if any atomic condition has taken on the wrong value due to some sort of defect in the code, you will see that because it will go down the wrong path. Now, the nice thing about this is it's efficient because if you have n atomic conditions, it will typically only require n plus one tests. So it scales linearly with the uh, number of atomic conditions, which is not true of multiple condition coverage. And we're gonna see a little bit later why we don't wanna use multiple condition coverage. Because multiple condition coverage will tell you the same thing. It'll, it'll basically force the, the exposure of the uh, value of the atomic conditions in externally observable behaviors. But the problem is you're gonna pay a really high price with it from a testing point of view. Now, this is the level of coverage, MCDC. This is the level of coverage you're gonna to have to get to when you're dealing with the most safety critical uh, portions that they have the highest uh, ASO or automotive safety, safety integrity level requirements. Now, 
there can be some situations where uh, coupling of conditions, so this is where you have, uh, say, shared variables in, in two or more atomic conditions or situations where the value of one atomic condition is such that it makes the uh, one a possible value of the other atomic condition nonsensical. Uh, also, compiler short circuiting can uh, uh, affect this, but uh, you know that's something that's beyond the scope of what we're going to talk about here. You come into these situations, you'll have to just uh, figure out what the right thing to do is. Now, MCDC is, as I said, it's nice, efficient way of getting a very high degree of risk mitigation, but it's one of those things that if you were to try to work it out in your head, you would be even more tripped up than I just was a few minutes ago when I tried to work out in my head that um, illustrating condition coverage versus decision coverage on that arbitrarily complex expression. See, I did that on purpose. You know, I wanted to show you, you know, you try to work that out in your head, you're just looking at that. That's just decision condition coverage, right? It's really complicated. And you add this third piece of, oh yeah, and by the way, every atomic condition has to be able to control the outcome at least once true and once false. Well, that's gonna be even harder to do in your head. Fortunately, there is a systematic process for doing this. Now, it cannot be done in your head, but it can be done on a piece of paper or on a computer um, or, <coughs> excuse me, on a whiteboard. Um, so here's what you do. Let's say that we're dealing with the expression A or B. So A is, is one atomic condition, B is the other. Okay, we have two atomic conditions, A, B, and they're joined together with an OR operator. If you're a C person, think, you know, two, two parallel bars here, right? So A or B, and notice that A or B can evaluate to true or false. This is true of any Boolean expression, no matter how complex it is. It always evaluates to only true or false. So we write this table, and the table has three columns. The first has the logical expression or Boolean expression. The second column is the true column for the tests that have a true outcome. And the third column is the false column, which is the test that have the false outcome. Okay, so that's step one. And then what we wanna do is add a blank row for each condition where the number of blanks is equal to the total number of conditions. So you notice that at the upper right-hand side, the very top, we have the three columns, right? And then we have two rows below that. We have the A row, and we have the B row. And on the A row, there are two blanks under the true column, the first blank corresponding to the value A is gonna take on, and the second blank corresponding to the value that B is gonna take on. And then the same thing is true in F. There are two blanks under in the A row under F, the first corresponding to the value that A is gonna take on, and the second corresponding to the value that B is gonna take on. And then in the B row, we have exactly the same thing, B, okay? And then we have the two blanks, first blank A, second blank B for true, and two blanks, first blank A, second blank B for false, okay? And the A row is the set of tests where the A atomic condition is the thing that's forcing the value to be either true or false. And the B row is the set of tests 
where the B value is the, is the atomic condition forcing the outcome to be true or false. Okay, so the, the, the top part of that table, the pot, top quarter of that table, if you think of that table being divided into four equal sized quarters, right, then that's what, that's what it actually is. You should think of them as four separate tables. Right, so that top table is what you have at the end of steps one and two. Now, the next step, uh, number three, what we're gonna do is we're gonna fill in the diagonal blanks in the second column with T, okay? And the third column with F, okay? So that is A is going to take on a true value and that's in the first, in the, the A row, right? A is gonna take on a true value and A is gonna take on a false value. True in the true column, false in the false column. And then in the B row, B is gonna take on a true value, and F is gonna take on a false value, or B is gonna take, excuse me, B is gonna take on a true value, and B is gonna take on a false value, okay? So that's the end of um, step three, okay? Now, now remember, the, in the A row, the A, A is supposed to control the outcome. So A is gonna force the outcome to be true and false. And in the B row, B is gonna force the outcome to be true and false. So what we need to do is use what are called neutral values to fill in the other blanks. So the third table there, what we see is putting in neutral values. So, when it, with an OR operator like we see here, the neutral value is false because false or false is false. False or true is true. So you see how false is the neutral value there? It doesn't control the outcome. See that? So what we're doing by filling in the remaining blanks with neutral values, we're putting values in there that don't control the outcome. That's how A and B depending on whether we're talking about the A row or the B row, get to force the outcome to be true or false. Now, if we were dealing with an AND, it would be exactly the opposite. The neutral value is a true, right? True and false is false. True and true is true. Make sense? Now, once you have done that, what you will typically find is that there are duplicate tests. So we have false and false in the false column of the A row, and we have false and false in the false column of the B row. So we don't have to run them twice. That's you're typically gonna find that, okay? Now, you might say, well, doesn't that undermine this controlling value idea? Well, how could it? Because if the same exact test is in two separate cells, I mean, obviously the test doesn't behave differently depending on which of the two cells you select it from. It's just false, false, right? In this case, false or false, right? So now if you think about it, notice that in the A, let's look at the A row at the bottom table, okay? So if in the true column, if the A value there, which is now true, becomes false, Notice that we now go from true or false, which is a true outcome, to false or false, which is a false outcome. It flips the decision. Similarly, in the A row, if we take 
A and change it from false to true, then we'd be true or false and it would go to true. So that would flip the decision. Now look at the B row. If in the B row, if B takes on a false value instead of a true value, the outcome will be false. And similarly with the B row, we look up above in the A row because it's the same test. If B takes on the value true instead of the value false, the outcome will flip to true. And we'll be able to see that when we run our tests. Make sense? All right. So let's get a little bit more complicated here. Let's say, what if we have an A or B quantity and C? Now, decision condition coverage, notice if we just say A true, B true, C true, A false, B false, C false, that's decision coverage, yes, been true and false once. Condition coverage, yes, A, B, and C have each been true once and false once, but notice that B never independently affects the outcome. So in the first row there, A true, B true, C true, if I flip, a, if I flip B, to false, well, true or false is still true. See that? So true and true is true, so the outcome remains true. And in the second row, A false, B false, C false, if I flip B to be true, well, false or true, now that's true, so the A or B is now true, but true and false is still false. So notice that in that case, we could have a situation where the value of the Boolean, um, the atomic condition B was taking on the exact opposite value of what we expected. And those tests, those two tests that got decision condition coverage would not catch that. And that could be bad because there certainly could arise situations, probably will arise situations where the value of B does actually independently affect the outcome of the decision. And if it's taken on the wrong value, any number of things could happen. Like, oh, say the cruise control doesn't disengage. Think, you know, uh, Toyota stuck accelerator situation. Uh, I get that there's controversy over whether that was a code bug or not, but, you know, these are the kinds of things that could occur. Okay, so let's look at an example of, um, MCDC with this more complicated um, expression. So we draw the three columns as described before. In this case, we have three rows, A, B, and C, and we have three blanks in each column. See that? So we got the true column and the false column. And then we put the diagonals, you know, true, 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 false, false, false. So in other words, if you look at the seconds, uh, table there, A takes on true in the true column and it takes on false in the false column. B takes on true in the true column and it takes on false in the false column. And C takes on true in the true column and false in the false column. And then what we do is we replace the remaining blanks with neutrals. Okay, so false for or, true for and. Now, this is where things get a little bit tricky, okay? Because we have this compound expression. 
So let's take a look at the first row in the third table there, the A row. So notice that we have true, A is gonna be true, we know that. And then we gotta pick a neutral value for or, so that's false, and a neutral value for and, so that's true, right? So true, false, true. And then false, false, true, right? Same neutral values there. And with B, the situation is the other way around because B has to be true. We need to pick the neutral value for A, so that's false. So in the B row, it's false, true. We still have to pick true as the neutral value for the AND, right? And then the B row in the false column, B takes on the false value, so it's false, neutral value for A, false, true, true being the neutral value for AND. But take a look at row C. Now row C, the C row in the true column, C has to be true, but what are the values of A and B have to take on? Well, we actually don't care what the specific values of A versus B are, as long as A or B evaluates to true. So what I did here was I put true, false, true. I could have put false, true, or true, true, but by putting true, false, true, I create a situation where notice that I have the same test in the true column in the A row and the C row, which is gonna allow me to collapse those two tests, deleting duplicates, right? Um, unfortunately, that same trick is not going to um, allow me to do anything clever with the C row and the false column. Uh, I did true, false, false there. I could have done false, true, I could have done, done false, false, it wouldn't have affected it. But what happens when we get into the fifth step and we delete the duplicates is that what we see is that in the B row, in the false column, we've got false, false, true, just like in the A row, so we can delete that. And as I said, I carefully constructed the C row in the true column to be duplicative of the A row in the true column, so we can delete that. So I have one, two, three, four tests at three atomic conditions, so three plus one is four, n plus one, right? Now, so if you didn't get that, if you didn't construct the um, uh, conditions carefully with these, these uh, compound expressions, what can sometimes happen is that you find that instead of having n plus one tests, you've got n plus two tests or n plus three tests. In that case, you would just go back and, you know, tweak the um, places where you have freedom that's created by the um, non-controlling variables, non-controlling conditions. Are there other permutations of the non-controlling conditions that can be arranged in such a way that it's duplicative of some other um, uh, test? All right, wow, okay, that's great. Huh? Uh, a little complicated, might have to go back and think about that. I'd recommend them to uh, uh, download the uh, slides uh, and uh, work through those as exercises to make sure you're clear on this stuff because listening to somebody explain this without actually doing it by yourself, um, listening to somebody explain it will give you a sort of a basic understanding, but the ability to do it is something that requires doing it. Just like you can't have somebody, you know, you can't listen to somebody um, talk about how to play a piano or do a YouTube video where they're describing how they're playing a piano 
and um, then sit down and play a piano. Um, okay, sorry about the, the ringing phone in the background there. This, this time I promise that wasn't actually an on-purpose mistake. Um, so um, multiple condition coverage, let's talk about that. So what if you say, well, that MCDC stuff, that's really complicated. And, you know, rather than try to figure out how to do that, I'm going to just use brute force solution. The brute force solution is I'm going to exhaustively test every single combination of conditions, uh, at least that could affect the outcome. And then, you know, take advantage of short circuiting and uh, coupling and so forth and not necessarily run all those. But, um, you know, I'm going to run every, every possible combination. Uh, well, what you would do is you would generate a Boolean truth table um, which would have two to the N entries in it. Um, and uh, then you could go through and you could collapse out some of those things that are, you know, impossible because of short circuiting and so forth. Um, now here's the thing is that th this is not a required level of coverage in automotive testing or in any other safety critical testing that I'm aware of, because it tends to be really expensive without giving you any additional risk mitigation. Now, what do I mean by really expensive? Well, you might remember the movie Fight Club. Uh, the first rule of Fight Club is never talk about Fight Club. Well, and one of the first rules of testing is never talk about testing everything. In other words, you know, remember the, the principle of the impossibility of exhaustive testing, right? Um, which is connected to the other principle, uh, another principle of testing, which is that, um, Testing can prove the presence of defects, but can't prove their absence. So here's what happens when, when you try to test everything in terms of conditions is as the number of conditions goes up to, in this example, eight, the number of tests goes over 250. Ouch. So this may seem feasible, you know, at some low, low level, like, you know, if I say, well, well, we've got three atomic conditions and two to the third is eight, you know, three plus one is four. Well, it's half the many tests and, you know, gets, picture gets worse and worse. So um, don't try to test everything. Now, are there bugs that you couldn't find that with MCDC that you might find with multiple condition coverage? Nobody has ever been able to show me an example of such a bug. Now, it is true that there are bugs that are very immune to structured white box or black box test design techniques. And there is an interesting write-up of one such bug by a guy named Doug Hoffman. Uh, now, some of you may remember way, way back um, in, in dinosaur days, which was, but, you know, I was 10 plus years in software engineering at that point. Uh, there was this CPU brought out by Intel called the Pentium. And the Pentium had a, a bug in its microcode that did division. And Doug Hoffman's uh, did a write-up of that that sh showed how difficult it would have been to find that bug through any approach other than exhaustive testing or extensive random testing. So um, it's not the case that, hey, you know, we did MCDC and so therefore there's no way we missed any bugs. But it is the case that, at least as far as I know, and I've challenged, you know, hundreds of people around the world on this, that there's no um, instance that, that anybody's been able to cite to me where multiple condition coverage would have found a bug that multiple con modified condition decision coverage uh, would not have found.
All right, so there you go. Those are the three code coverage levels that you need to achieve for automotive testing. Statement coverage, which might be called instruction coverage or code coverage by your tool. Decision coverage, which might be called branch coverage by your tool. Um, and if so, you need to make sure that, well, you know, which one actually is it. And then modify condition decision coverage, which uh, is unlikely to be called anything other than MCDC or modified condition decision coverage. I've never heard of that. Heard of that. Um, so know which uh, level of coverage is required. This is based on the automotive safety integrity level. That's we determined by applying the technique specified in the uh, standard that you're following. Um, if you are a tester, if you are an SDED, if you are a developer, you do need to know how to apply these techniques. And um, you might be tempted to say, well, just let the tool figure it out for me. Um, but in the case of MCDC, um, you're gonna need to actually construct the tests in advance. So that table that I showed you is something that you really are gonna wanna master. So as I said, uh, Download the slides and uh, work through those examples on your own. And uh, I think by the time you've done that, you'll feel more confident. If you take maybe a couple uh, snippets of code out of your actual programs and apply it there, you'll be even more confident. All right, so I will put up the advertisement um, as we go to Q&A. So I will... Uh, Shoot. Put up the QA panel. Pardon me while I have to look over here. Yeah, it's dealing uh, with some screen real estate issues, but uh, all right. Um, so let's see, before we get into the questions again, I uh, just mentioned, you know, we uh, love doing these free webinars for you all, but uh, we do um, need to keep the lights on. So if you uh, are in the business of doing automotive software testing, uh, I'd really appreciate it if you'd uh, consider uh, signing up for that course. We've got it running, uh, like all of our courses, of course, virtually now. So happy to have you do that. And of course, uh, we are also doing our consulting and expert services virtually too. So need some help, uh, let us know. Um, and a couple questions here via email. Um, do the tools always give the right answers in terms of coverage? Um, well, unfortunately, the answer is no. <laughs> they don't always give the right um, answers. Um, I've had a situation, for example, with Debian Linux. Um, Sorry, I got another uh, ringing bell here. Uh, do not disturb so that doesn't happen anymore. Um, so with Debian Linux's built-in um, code coverage tool, um, it's, um, we, we had a situation, I was teaching a, a course for some SDETs and um, we had a situation where the um, uh, tool was saying that we were getting 100% decision coverage, but less than 100% um, statement coverage. And um, it was flagging some things, if I remember correctly, as executable statements that actually were not executable statements. And besides, they were 
if, if you did think of them as executable statements, they were on paths that would have been executed anyway. So it was, it was really weird. I didn't spend time trying to get to the bottom of it because I was teaching a course for a bunch of SDETs from uh, LG, I think, or Samsung. It was a very long, intensive, three-week-long SDET training course that we put them through. So, um, you know, rather than debug Debian Linux's um, uh, code coverage tool, it was just like, well, that, that must, that's clearly wrong. Um, so, you know, I'd say beware of that and also beware of the using the wrong name for the level of coverage that's being measured issue because uh, that, that happens um, uh, too. As I said, you know, there's a, an example I just talked about where, you know, his condition is calling it um, uh, decision coverage and it was actually condition coverage. And I've seen examples where it was calling it condition coverage and it was condition coverage and it was weird. So just kind of kind of be, be careful of that. Um, and... Um, Can you recommend any tools for measuring code cover? This is the other question here coming through. Um, I have made it a longstanding rule throughout my consulting career to not do this without actually not anything other than a consulting engagement for a client. And here's why. Um, the, the, the best tool for your organization is going to depend on a number of factors. You have a number of requirements and constraints that affect your choice of tool. Um, and I don't know what those requirements and constraints are. So if I just rattle off the names of tools, that doesn't do you a lot of good. In fact, that points you potentially in the wrong direction. What you need to do is follow the best practices for tool selection, which starts with um, identifying your requirements and, and constraints and risks and so forth. There's a really good write-up of the tool selection process in the ISTPB Advanced Test Manager syllabus, which I've expanded on in my book, which is uh, Advanced Software Testing Volume uh, 2, if I remember right. Um, so I would say, you know, follow a careful process. And all too often we run into clients that have made tool decisions and the uh, you know, without carefully thinking through um, uh, their, their, their real needs. All right, so I just wanna, I, was, I have to mention something. Um, somebody um, was asking a question earlier about signing up for the webinar with the intriguing email uh, name, which I thought was Ale Sauce. Um, well, I, ale sauce, it's something you would make with uh, a heavy beer for a steak or something. But now I see it was ale sauce. So, uh, <laughs> so for one of our attendees who is Catalina Alejandra Saucido. So uh, <laughs> very, very clever um, uh, email name. I hope you will forgive me for, uh, for outing you. Um, I, I guess you go by Ali. Um, so that's... Um, uh, quite, as I said, quite a clever email name. Okay, so um, seeing no further questions, um, just a little bit more about the resources uh, available here, and then we'll head out the door. 
Uh, we run these free webinar sessions once a month, uh, as you know, so uh, sign up. We are mixing it up this year. It's not just me, it's uh, me and other people, and more conversations and uh, other points of view and other presenters and so forth. So we're trying, trying something new. Uh, let us know how you like it. Um, you know, for, for years, it was just always just me doing my thing. And now it's me talking to other people and as long as, as well as me doing my thing sometimes. So um, send us some feedback. Um, if you would like a special webinar presentation for your company only of this webinar or any other topic related to software testing, send an, e an email to info at rbcs-us.com. Um, sign up for our newsletter at uh, rbcs-us.com and this will get you valuable discounts on consulting and training services and well as uh, a regular newsletter that keeps you posted on what, what goings on are. Um, you see the Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn coordinates below. If you want to connect to me on LinkedIn, I will accept anyone who attends a webinar for sure. Uh, just don't immediately start spamming me with um, all sorts of weird um, uh, propositions that, that may or may not be of interest. I, this this happens sometimes. I get somebody sends me a LinkedIn contact request, and the next thing I know, they're like, "Hey, you know, it's three paragraph long thing about I'm going to come in and look at your sales and figure out how to make you sell 100% more than you currently do." And uh, you know, like, dude, uh, I have been at this 26 years. If there were a magic bullet for doubling my sales on, on a whim. I'd already know about it. Um, so I'm pretty sure you don't have it. <laughs> so, you know, don't, don't connect and do things like that, but I doubt any of you all are gonna do that. Um, if you know anybody who uh, missed this webinar or you'd like to listen to it again, of course it gets posted on our YouTube channel. As you see down there, it's also posted as a podcast. Uh, this one might be a little challenging from a podcast point of view though. Um, if you're going to do it as a podcast or, you know, somebody else who wants to do it as a podcast, just tell them, make sure you download the, the, the slides so that you can look along, look at the code snippets as you're going. So um, finally, uh, we offer these resources as a service to the software testing community because at RBCS, we are not just a profit company. But that said, we do need to keep the lights on. As you are all aware, these are challenging times. So if you feel that these webinars demonstrate a grasp of the kinds of software testing challenges you face, please give us a chance to bid on any and all software testing, consulting, training, and expert services work that you may have. Uh, this concludes the webinar. Thanks for joining us today. I look forward to seeing you in future webinars.